Surely Jesus would come in in a in a you know with, with chariots and, 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 and officers around him. Surely Jesus will come in in that style in that way. But we're reading in our Bible reading that Jesus came in a donkey, or on a donkey, should I say. And you would think, why a donkey? Did Jesus turn around and say to the disciples, hey guys, how much money have you got in a bar? And they said, well, we've only got enough to hire a donkey. And so they went for the donkey. There's nothing else. No, it wasn't like that. Because hundreds of years before this was even took place, hundreds of years in Zechariah, we read these words. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous, having salvation, gentle, and riding on a donkey. Hundreds of years before you take place, the king is meant to come into Jerusalem, not as what you and I expected to come, with a chariot and with white horse and glamour and stuff. No, he comes gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Isn't that amazing? Go back to the Old Testament to read what's going to happen in the New Testament. Hundreds of years before he even takes place. And so I want to look at this entry into Jerusalem. And so my first um, heading this morning is ownership. You remember how the reading went in, in ownership? Let me remind you, um, Jesus sends his uh, disciples ahead. Look what it says. Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. And that's exactly what happened. Some of the disciples went over there and they, they saw the, the donkey, the colt, and they began to untie it. I don't know about you, but if I open my front door and I see a couple of young dudes trying to get into my car, I won't be too happy about it. What happened to me recently, a few years ago, I, I was um, checking my, my brake pads on my, on my vehicle and, and I jacked up the car and I took one of the wheels off and I left it on the side and, um, and I went indoors just for a few seconds, just a few minutes. When I came out, the wheel that was on the wall was, was gone. And a car with three wheels, and everyone knows that a car with three wheels is not good. You know what I'm saying? And a car with three wheels. Now, if I ever saw the guy taking my wheel down the road, I won't be asking him questions of what are you doing with my tire. I will be rugby tackling him down straight away and making sure I recover my tire. But these two men, when they were untying the court, they were asked, and Harry Harry again, Jesus. What happened? As they were untying the colt, his owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? Now the answer is very, very important. Look how and what they say. They did not say, Jesus needs a colt. They didn't say that. Neither did they say, the Christ needs a colt. They didn't say that either. They didn't even say, the Messiah. He needs the cult. They didn't say that. What they said is this. 
they said, the Lord needs a cult. Now, why is that so important? Well, it's very easy, it's very simple. We still use it in our language as well. You've heard the terminology, the Lord of the manor. If a person is the Lord of the manor, then he's a very important person, obviously, but he owns everything on his manor. He owns the house on the manor, and he owns the land that's around the manor, and he owns the property or the goods inside the manor. He is the Lord of the manor, and we speak like that even in our day, knowing that someone who has that title owns what he has around him. So it's very simple, isn't it? When Jesus turns around and says to the disciples, go to those, those men and untie the cult, and when they ask you what you're doing, he said the Lord needs it, because the Bible turns around and says, for the king is the great God, the great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry ground. Not only that, look again in another verse. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What the Bible saying? The Bible is saying this: everything belongs to the Lord. Everything. It was the Lord. The cult owners had the cult, but actually, that cult belongs to the Lord. I have a friend, and his daughter is in the Himalayas, and she's climbing the mountain. He's worried, stiff about that. And I would be too, but she's climbing the mountains in the hill of the Himalayas. But just imagine being at the bottom of the mountain and looking up, and the peaks you can hardly see because they go so high into the sky. Who owns that mountain? Who created that mountain? The Lord owns that mountain. And when you begin to think that the Lord owns that mountain, you begin to read, hold on, the Lord owns the crows that are there. The Lord owns the house that I live in. The Lord owns the money that I earn. The Lord owns every single thing that belongs to me. The Lord owns my children. He owns my wife or my husband. He owns everything that I have in my hand. The Lord owns it. We are just like those donkey owners. We have the donkey on loan. Until the Lord needs it. It's my donkey, we've got it all tied up. But when the disciples turn around and say, the Lord needs it, they didn't reply at all. Everything belongs to the Lord, even our time. That's very important preaching here. Even our time belongs to the Lord. But if we understood that, if you truly understand it, it will change how we view our lives. If we truly understood that, it will change every single aspect. It will change our, our, our church life. It will change our private life. It will change our life at home. If we realize that God owns everything that I have, it's his and it's his first, not mine. Until the Lord needs it. So when 
And I was speaking to Phil on the phone, and Phil said to me, Jerry, you know, the young people out there in Italy, they want to come to the UK. And they want to come to church. And so Phil said, and Grant said, well, I said to you, Alec, the guy out there, I said to him, listen, tell them to come over. Don't worry about accommodating. Just pay for their flight. Just tell them to come over. We in the church will give them a place to stay. I can hear somebody say, what? Some young spaghetti <laughs> eating pasta smelling Italians staying in my house? I don't think so. But the Lord needs your house. It's yours for a time, but it belongs to God. And so the Lord needs it. Once we can believe that God owns me, he owns the breath that I, 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 I take in every time I'm speaking. Or to believe that I can turn around and I can live more freer, knowing that God owns everything anyway. He owns everything anyway. The Lord wins. And so when the disciples said that they, uh, that the owners allowed them to take the coat and take it away. That's the first thing I want to say about this. Second thing I want to say is about the worship. Ownership and then the worship. Jesus mounts the donkey and, and, and he goes down into the, uh, the place of the Mount of Olives and then they began to praise and worship him. And here we have, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They were praising him for the miracles that they saw. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, the deaf heard, and these men and women, when they saw the miracles, they were praising God for what he has done. But unfortunately, their understanding of praising him for what he has done was limited. It was limited to what the miracles they saw. But if they went back to Zechariah, and they read what Zechariah was talking about. They would remember what he says. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout for joy, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. That's what they need to be praising God about. He's coming because he has salvation. The salvation that he was bringing was saving men from sin. Saving men from the anger and the wrath of God towards sin. Saving and delivering men, bringing men out of darkness and bringing them into a wonderful kingdom of light. That was the salvation that Jesus was bringing. And so their praise, although it was true, was limited in his understanding. But Jesus accepted their praise because he is the king. And he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And he accepted their prayers. But it was an inadequate understanding. Now I don't know about you, but I had the experience. I'm a nice sort of person, I think, and I had the experience of opening the door for someone coming into a bank. Or someone coming in to a shop and I'm cutting out so I open the door and I step back. But what makes me really angry is people just walk straight. 
And I look at them like, I'll bring you back. But I heard a story of a man who opened the door for somebody, this woman, and she walked in. As she walked in, her head was held high, and she walked right past him. And this is the true story. This guy took off his shoe and he threw it at her head. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand it. The door was open and she didn't want to be thankful for the man opening the door. He threw a shoe at her head. But listen, God has opened the door for you. God has, Christ has opened a door that you can have fellowship with God. Christ has opened the door so that you can know that your sins are forgiven, that you're no longer destined to go to hell and to be separated from God for all eternity. No, he has opened up a way that you can have fellowship with the Almighty God. He has opened the door for you. So because he has opened the door for you, inside it should be a, a shout of praise. Inside it should be a shout of thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you that you've opened up the door that I might enter into your very presence. But you know, even if you don't want to worship Christ, maybe you refuse. Maybe you think worshiping Christ is not your thing. Jesus turned around and turns and says to the disciples or to the Pharisees, I tell you, if you don't do it, you keep quiet. I want to tell you, the storm will cry out. And that is in line with the whole of the Bible. Because Psalm 19, verse 1 says that the heavens declare the, the glory of God and the sky proclaim the works of his hands. Look at this verse in Psalm 148. It says this. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all these angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Listen, if you don't want to praise God for what he has done, I want to tell you, it matters not. Because the heavens are ready praising God. If you refuse and say to yourself, well, you know what, I'm not going to praise God, I'm going to sit with my hand folded, and I'm not going to be very happy about being in church. Fair enough. God will receive his praise somewhere else. And the heaven says, they will praise him and worship him. Therefore, you need to wake up. You need to wake up, my dear friend, and, and see the power of God to redeem you. See the power of God that rescued you. See the power of God that set you free. And do not allow stones to praise God. Do not allow stones to shut your mouth. But you yourself, raise your voice and give praise and worship to the living God. You know, Psalms is one of the greatest books of, of, of in the Bible. You have Psalm 22, which has, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You got Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not want. And you go through the psalm, and so many people read the psalm. But I want to tell you, it's the biggest book in the Bible. It's got the longest chapter in the Bible. But the psalm ends, the psalm ends with one note, one word. The psalm ends with praise. And here it is. Praise. 
the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything, everything that has breath praise the Lord. How the song ends. I'm telling you, no stone is going to stop me praising I want to tell you how glorious the sun is. That sun is not going to stop me from praising God. No other person will steal my voice, but I know that I have been redeemed by the Lord. I know that my sins, though as red as crimson, as black as night, have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, as Jim was saying. I know that, and nothing can stop me from praising and worshiping God. Praise be to His name. Difficult and black and dark 
night might be. Jesus weeps in that place with you. I'm sure of it. But we also see him weeping here. And he weeps over men's rejection of his peace and love. And so he comes to Jerusalem. He looks over the city. The Bible says he weeps. Why does he weep over them? And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what will bring you peace. They could not see that the one thing that they need for peace with God, the one thing, the only thing they need to have fellowship with God, the only one thing they needed was Jesus Christ. That's all they needed. But they couldn't see it. And Jesus turned around and said, if only, that's why I'm weeping, that's why I'm crying. But you cannot see it. Christ weeps. I'm going to tell you, he doesn't weep like some child in the playground. You know, you see this child in the playground, and they're there, and you go to the child, he's crying, and you go, why are you crying? And the child says, no, what are you and the teacher, okay, take your hand, and then go find some friends. And the little teacher takes them around, trying to find some friends. That is not the weeping that Jesus is engaged with. The weeping that Jesus is engaged with is that he knows the terrors of hell. And he knows that if man goes there, they're not coming back. He knows the anger and the wrath of God. And he knows that if the anger of God falls on men, they're not going to live for it. They're not going to survive it. And he weeps, but he knows the reality of the anger of God and the terrors of hell. And so he weeps, and he weeps that men have rejected him. But he's weeping. Clothes him with strength. He's weeping. Clothed him with power. Because when he weeps on the mountain looking down at Jerusalem, he goes down into Jerusalem and he stretches himself out upon a cross. And as he nails, is driven into his hands. And as the nails are driven into his feet, he cries out, It is finished. I have made a way my tears that have run down my cheek. My heart was broken for Jerusalem. I have now made a way that men and women can come into the presence of God. I have made a way, he says, that men and women cannot go to that place that I know is a separation from God for all eternity. I have made a way that men and women can escape that and enter into glory. It is finished. I have done it. I have completed it. Men and women can no longer suffer in that place. And so we read, and my final text for today is this in Ephesians For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus Christ had broken down that wall. He's taken out and destroyed it completely. There's nothing separating you from 
be a love for sin and love for unrighteousness. That's the only thing that will stop you from entering into the presence of God. Jesus Christ comes into Jerusalem. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he comes and he comes in the praise of people. And that praise and that worship is because he has come to bring salvation to you and to me. May your ownership of things, even your breath, even your life, give, give back to God. Say, Lord, this belongs to you. My very breath belongs to you. Give it back to me today. Thank you for my life. Every day, every day, I want to thank you for what you have given me. Not only that, I want to worship you and praise you. No stone is going to stop me from praising you. Take my place in praising you. This man that you have created, this woman that you have made, is going to be the one who gives you the praise and the honor that is due to your name. And thank you for making a way where there wasn't any way. A barrier. Thank you for destroying that. I'm going to be Jesus. 